Welcome back, everyone, to today's episodes of Things Happening in the World. Today, we'll be talking about the heated topic, vaccinations. More specifically, why has the anti-vaccination movement become so big? I do understand that some of you do not believe in vaccinations, but all I ask is that you listen to this podcast with an open mind about all the research that I have found. I've looked up numerous scholarly peer-reviewed documents about vaccinations. I've also found reliable sources that are backed up with great ethos. The information that I'm relaying is in fact trustworthy. We'll be talking about where people are getting their information and if the information they're receiving is correct. In this episode, I'd like to state my argument on the matter. I do believe in vaccinations. They have dramatically reduced illnesses in the United States. There's been so much research done on them to show that they are reliable. Before I bring in our guest speaker, I would like to talk about anti-vaxxers' opinions on why they would not like to vaccinate. I found a source called Eight Reasons Why I Haven't Vaccinated My Daughter by James Maskell, who's a grown man with a daughter. He states eight reasons why he hasn't vaccinated her. Out of the eight, I'll be talking about three of them. These reasons are, number one, he fears the risk of complications from vaccines more than he fears the risk from complications from infection. He believes the vaccinations are linked to seizures, ovarian failure, autism, and multiple sclerosis. He states that vaccines might not be the only cause of these symptoms, but not enough research has been done to show that vaccines do not cause these complications. All right, in my opinion, just like he said there isn't enough research done, he thinks that there isn't enough evidence claiming that vaccines don't cause these illnesses. But I believe the opposite that there isn't enough information to say that vaccines are giving illnesses to people. The second reason is that he can vaccinate his daughter, but she can contract the infection anyways. He says that not all vaccinations are 100% certain to prevent the infection. When there was an outbreak of whooping cough, the majority of people who got it were fully vaccinated. He stated that the viruses are becoming immune to the vaccinations. Through science classes I have taken, I know that the viruses we contract grow and develop along with our medical practices. So as we get farther along in our knowledge on medicine and helping people prevent the illnesses, the viruses evolve in order to fight against the vaccines. This is just nature and ways of creatures living. We have this knowledge and it helps better our understanding of medicine and how we need to improve it over time. Reason number three. He has researched the ingredients in vaccines and says that they are toxic and he doesn't want them injected into his daughter. He states that the following toxins are commonly found in vaccines. Aluminum, egg proteins, antibiotics, formaldehyde, MSG, and thermosol. He says that it's becoming more and more apparent that autism is a disease born of environmental causes, not genetics. And aluminum, among others, is being thought as a possible culprit. Even if these are the ingredients in the vaccines, one of the most essential parts of them is the dead bacteria from the viruses. We put these in our bodies at a young age so that our immune system can adapt to fight against them. The dead bacteria will do no harm to us and will only better our health in the end. This is the whole point of the vaccination, one of the main points that the author left out of his thought process. That brings us to one of the first reasons why I believe the anti-vaccination movement has become so large. The places that people are getting their information is not always reliable. With Alexis C. Madrigal's article, The Small, Small World of Facebook Anti-Vaxxers, 
it states that there has been many anti-vaccination movements all over Facebook. You can join groups and look up things that people have posted about it. People are allowed to voice their opinion on the topic they believe, but that does not give the author of that post any credibility or ethos. These groups are relaying information that has not been approved by a doctor and is not written in any scholarly source. So the spread of this information is being passed around through social media, one of the most significant ways that young adults today find their information. I will now be bringing in our guest, one of my good friends, Trevor Hudson. Hello, Trevor. Hi. So, Trevor, I know that you have social media. Have you seen any information in regards to anti-vaccinations? Yes, I've seen many biased Facebook articles. I also heard that Pinterest has gotten rid of the keyword vaccinations in the search bar in hopes of stopping the spread of misinformation. YouTube has also limited their search results on vaccinations and instead provides a link to a reliable source. Social media really has a significant impact on what people can see. Yes, the internet in general has a high impact on it. According to Anakata's a postmodern Pandora box, anti-vaccination, misinformation on the internet. Approximately 74% of Americans go online. And with that 74%, 75 to 80% of the people look up health-related information online. Many of the questions that people have looked up in the search engines about the topics range from conspiracy theories, alternative medicines, and the civil rights that people have to opt out of getting vaccinations. Going on the web has changed dramatically in the years because of the change from Web 1.0 to Web 2.0. According to anti-vaccine activist Web 2.0 in the postmodern paradigm, an overview of tactics and tropes used online by the anti-vaccination movement by Anakata, it explains the difference between Web 2.0 and what Web 1.0 is. The first generation of internet was called Web 1.0. With this first generation, the things that were posted on it were by provider. So the information that you would be getting would be correct and qualified to go out into the internet. In Web 2.0, people are now able to create their own things and put them on the internet, making the information we get not wholly credible. People would now be able to post blogs or post things on social media stating their opinions on the matter. Recently, I read an article from the New York Times called New York City is Requiring Vaccinations Against Measles. Can officials do that? by Donald G. McNeil Jr. It talks about the city of New York has been wanting to make vaccinations mandatory. They state that there has been a measles outbreak in parts of the Brooklyn area and is one of the worst epidemics that we have had in America in many years. New York has declared a public health crisis. If you choose not to vaccinate, you could be fined up to $1,000. People are debating if this goes against their 14th Amendment rights. A requirement of vaccinations has been done before. This was in Philadelphia in 1991, where a measles outbreak had occurred, infecting 1,400 people and killing many children. My question is, would not vaccinating yourself and being around others that wished you were be against their rights? Maybe not everyone wants their children in a public setting with people who are not vaccinated. Another topic that has come up a lot is that new parents don't know whether they should vaccinate or not. They've heard information on both sides of the argument through a study from what informs parents' decision-making about childhood vaccination, researched by Solvi Helseth and Astrid Oswald-Dahlgren, explains the parents' thoughts about vaccines. 
It shows the parents' decision-making process. When parents would have to come to a decision on whether to vaccinate their child or not, they would often look to nurses for guidance. The nurses would tend to facilitate vaccinations. Issues with this and not letting the parents be informed entirely on the subject is when it brought problems. The parents felt as if they weren't sure about the decisions they were making and had lost their responsibilities and rights. The study states that nurses should tell the parents all of their options, the harm that could be done if they decide not to vaccinate, but also let the parents decide. If parents feel as though they are in control, then nurses will be able to inform them with proper information with the hope that parents would make the right choices. I personally have not had a child, but the thought of becoming a new parent is very scary. Nobody knows if they are parenting correctly. So making these big decisions could make new parents very nervous, which would lead them back to looking online for information about the subject. Through all of this information that I have stated, one of the main points that I'm trying to get across is that the information you are reading might not be reliable. You need to educate yourself and learn about how to find a proper source. If you don't know if what you're saying is entirely accurate, then please don't spread the word of it. It could end up making the problems worse. I would like to say thanks to our guest, Trevor. Thanks for having me. And thanks to the authors of this source I found and people who created the music and images for this podcast. I hope this has given you a better insight into this topic. Once again, thanks for listening. Tune in next week for the topic of gun violence. Thank you.